have two guests together today, and they have the advantage of me because they're together in a room, which isn't surprising. <laughs> they spend a lot of time together, I'm sure. We've got Johnny Harris and Iz Harris. Hi, guys. Hi. Um, so you two are married. Indeed. We are. We are married for eight years now. And you both make videos, not not just together, but also you make your own videos. And I'd love for you guys to do your introduction because you're the you experts here. <laughs> yeah. Why don't you start, Johnny? So... My name is Johnny. I am, um, as Tyler said, a a filmmaker. I I didn't train to be a filmmaker, but I kind of became a filmmaker um, after college, after studying international affairs. Um, I make documentaries about uh, borders right now, but I'm interested in all things international relations. Um, And I do animation and design and things like that and kind of put it all together um, into these documentary explainers that I do for Vox, uh, V-O-X, not F-O-X, for those who misheard me. Common common misconception <laughs> and a grave one at that. But people always think we're talking about Fox News and then they stop talking to us. So yeah. we have to clarify. So, oh, and it's about borders. It's about, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's about exactly. borders. For, fortify the borders. So, yeah, so I've been with Vox for four years and I have just kind of done all sorts of stuff there and, and currently doing borders so that's me yeah and then we we both got our start doing wedding films initially and then a couple years ago I kind of branched off and eventually found myself creating just documentations of our travels and then decided that I wanted to make a brand out of that and to make a business out of it and so now I'm a travel filmmaker I make um, travel films for different brands uh, that want family-focused travel content, and I'm also trying to be a full-time YouTuber. Seems like you guys have a lot of synergy in in what you're doing, obviously. I mean, both of you making travel video, both having, you're able to draw on each other's styles, and, you know, I hope to also hear about how you guys are able to work together, or like what you guys do on each other's videos, um, how all that stuff works, but it's something we have in common. I mean, I also am on the road a lot, I think the biggest difference is my content isn't really about traveling. Uh, it happens to, I, I usually just let it be a backdrop. Although you produce beautiful travel oh, content. Thank you. you. Do. But I, I think we <laughs> both have, we both have things to learn from each other about how to do things on the road. Because it's funny when I talk to a lot of other people that more or less do the same thing as me. Uh, like say say tech YouTubers or, or other photographers. A lot of the things that are challenging to me, it's hard for people to understand who aren't doing it well there on a plane for 10 hours at a time yeah. <laughs> or, you oh know, just like sitting on the floor of an airport, struggling to find an outlet. Like there's yeah. all these unique challenges, you know, doing it without that built in routine is such a challenge. And it's awesome that we're able to do that, that we all have careers that allow us to do that, to see the world and uh, earn an income simultaneously. But it's definitely been something that we've had to set up like tons of systems in place uh, to be able to do it efficiently and and regularly. Yeah, and I'd say time. one of the things for me that's kind of a, a paradox here is that I I actually am in, like fueled by by producing when I'm on the road. When I'm on an airplane, I'm actually about one and a one and a half times more productive than I am in my office, and that's because I have developed systems and habits and approaches that that kind of take advantage of that isolation or take advantage of 
what travel has to offer, which is often a lot of waiting and a lot of uh, downtime. And and so I find myself actually productive, but it's not naturally like that. It's because it's been kind of an intentional um, approach to producing while I'm on the road. Right. How, how often are you guys on the road throughout the year? It ebbs and flows. We uh, were gone for pretty much consistently for the last three months. Yeah. Um, I think we were home for maybe a week in the last a few three days, months. Yeah. And is home Washington? DC yes. For yeah. Days? We're based yeah. in Washington, D.C. And and then I would say that probably at least six months out of the year, we are out of town mm-hmm. traveling. Yeah. It ebbs and flows. It comes, though, like we're, we have this little stint of time, but then it'll, it'll ramp up again. But yeah, it's it's more and more every year. It, it seems a problem I always have is, and this is this is only annoying to anybody listening who doesn't travel a lot. <laughs> is it's hard to complain about traveling? To, yeah, because yeah. I think oh most gosh. people don't do it so much. But it, sometimes it really feels nice to be home for an extended period. I'm like, this is a vacation. <laughs> yes, it's. I always have to clarify. I mean, again, we're very very lucky to be able to do what we do. We feel very fortunate to be able to do it. Um, but I always have to clarify that it's not a vacation. It's a trip and it's usually a work trip. (laughs) (laughs) We we hear that all the time. People are like, how was your vacation? We're like, extremely tiring. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And And I think that's hard for people to understand. Um, but the amount of shooting and just scripting and preparing that goes into getting the videos that, that we get, that you get, it's a massive amount of, of work. To the point where we were, we were just in, uh, we were at a wedding in Europe and we decided, I guess we we're shooting the wedding. So I guess that kind of counts, but we were like, <laughs> we're not going to do any shooting. <laughs> so we were still working. Other than the reason just we're the there. the fact yes. that we could be yes. shooting a wedding and thinking, this but, isn't but work. But <laughs> as we were roaming around the town, we were like, dude, let's leave the camera at, at in the Airbnb, which is like an unheard of I thing. Guess. We're like, wait, like, what? what? We're like, what if we just didn't vlog this or document in any way other than for the wedding? And we just, we were with a bunch of friends and we're like, why don't we just wander and just have fun? And, and it and ended it up being wonderful. kind I, of amazing. Yeah. In some ways. I, I think there's two sides of this though, because, you know, I started vlogging in January and I, I started out doing weekly vlogs that very quickly became travel centric because of our, because of our life. Um, and I found that being forced to kind of come up with different new ways to approach travel through the the lens of a camera really made me appreciate and enjoy our travel more too. So it, it can go both ways. And I think one of the really nice things about getting doing it a lot is that you start to understand when you need to be shooting and when you don't. The most common question I get is how do you still enjoy your trip and document your trip? And mm-hmm. And I think that um, we've all been guilty of coming home from a quote-unquote vacation uh, with just gigs and gigs of footage that we have to cull through. And it takes like weeks because it's just massive. Johnny and I have now learned like when you put the camera away. And that's most of the time. Yeah. So as much as it looks like we constantly have the camera on and we're talking to, you know, our Sony more than we are to each other we've become really kind of stringent about when I'm constantly saying like, this isn't worth it. Turn the camera, Put the camera off. Away. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> this yeah. isn't pretty. Lights Turn it bad. Off, you know, yeah. so the light's bad. I don't like it in here. Whatever. I've heard uh Keith and I mentioned that a few times too, about how 
confused a lot of people seem to be about the fact that like this is only an hour or two of your day that you're showing like percentage wise even if there is a lot of footage it's a very small part of everything that you did of of the complete and it's because you you start to edit while shooting i mean that's to me the great the great sensibility of this whole enterprise of, of consistent uploading is you begin to shoot as if you are in an editor and you say I need this shot to the point where you're going through your footage and everything you shot is valuable because you're pre, you know, you've done it enough times you that you can preempt formula. it. Yeah. yeah, formula or you can just know what your shooting is going to turn into. Yeah, mm-hmm. I felt like that's a bit of a difference between what you guys do and what I do is I feel, I always feel like you guys just have more more footage than I do. I'm very because I'm so like allergic to being stuck editing for too long. So I very much am always like, I'm pretty frugal with how much I shoot. And often it means I'm missing something, but like, so the way that I do Instagram stories, uh, those I'm like, literally like I shoot that moment. I either keep or delete it on the phone and then I move on to the next one. And I still have pretty close to that approach for a YouTube video that like every, almost everything I shoot ends up in the video, but I I get the impression you guys just are, are capturing more than that or like how pre-planned is it i would say so i would say we're capturing a ton of establishing footage of the city yeah um Mm -hmm. i would say that that's a large amount of what we're shooting and and you'd be right to say that it's i wouldn't call it frugal shooting by any means it's more that it's very intentional shooting so understanding after doing now i don't know how many vlogs i've lost count but i feel like now we go on these trips and, and I would assume that Johnny feels the same way about borders that we've learned like this, this moment here isn't going to shoot well. And this one is, but also this is the time to break out the drone or this is the time to put it on the glide cam and shut, you know, shut down the other camera. I don't know. I think we've become just a little bit more intentional in when and what yeah but i think tyler's right in the sense that like once we pull the camera out once it's like golden hour yeah we kind of go bonkers and we're like capture it all the drone's up in the air like the drone the drone will be up in the air and then i'll be like give me that camera i've got a shot and the drone will just be like floating in the the remotes like on the ground (laughs) and i'm like now shooting with there's this this moment in izzy's in the in izzy's hong kong vlog where it's like we have like literally 18 minutes left of good light and she's like you need to be doing the hyperlapse and flying the drone and i was like there's literally we, no like, way ran i could up do that like a huge flight of stairs we're out of breath like i was like listen this is how we're gonna do this like the light was dwindling so fast and he's like we're just two people <laughs> like mm-hmm, yeah. we can't but like we definitely seize a like when we see a good opportunity when it's a good opportunity we go nuts we and we don't think crazy. about the editor we don't think about anything we just think of like keep keep the recording and and that mm-hmm. i don't know like there are days when i'm like no that was stupid and there are other days where i'm like well i'm glad <laughs> we just left the camera because we didn't have time to with light dwindling we didn't have time to like to like stage the shot or think intentionally about it yeah oh, for sure i mean i think it can the potential of how good the final edit can be gets so much better when you when you do that like i just i just posted one today when we we're in italy and um i wasn't talking about travel so I happen to not have recorded almost any B-roll of the city. So mm. it's literally just me talking and I just happened to be there, but I didn't show where I was mm. at all. And like, whoops, uh, like I even worst. had my drone with me. Yeah, um, But it's because yeah. I was doing other things there. I wasn't there for the, like, that was very much just a side project. I found time to do while I was there. So, mm. you know, it depends. I mean, I think the fact that you guys are also there to make the movie. Exactly. Uh, to, yeah. to make the videos. 
It's yeah, much it easier for us to focus in on getting that footage that makes up a really epic film. We were just in Chicago shooting another wedding. We're done shooting weddings. We don't do that anymore. We keep saying that. We're really misrepresenting ourselves. Um, but because we were there for that, I'm, I'm wrestling with this edit right now, um, realizing I really didn't do the normal due diligence I do in a new place. Yeah. Um, and it's because we were doing a different job. So I can completely understand when that's yeah. not your main focus. Hard to squeeze uh, it in. Yeah, it's really hard to make it happen. Yeah, capturing a city, capturing a city and doing it justice, getting the texture of a city to me is a very difficult thing. Yeah. And this is after years. I mean, this is our jobs yeah. for years. And it's stressful now because we have these followings who basically plan our entire trips for us. We crowdsource for our trips and every bit of our trip is planned by them. And then they're heavily invested in in the end product. And we're just, well, at least I'm super stressed during the whole edit because I'm like, I don't want to disappoint them. This is their city, you know? So it's like a whole added layer of of anxiety. Yeah, I've definitely missed out on some key things that I feel dumb about afterwards. Yeah. Oh, and YouTube lets you know, you know. Yeah, the comment (laughs) is great. Well, it's kind of funny doing a travel guide for somewhere you've never been before, but... uh, (laughs) No, I know. And that's why we, like, really have started trying to emphasize the locally crowdsourced experience, Mm -hmm. just because I always feel so silly being like, you have to go to this coffee shop, and then you get the comment that's like, no, you missed the one down the corner. That's actually the place that's the best. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to get a few like really practical bits of information from you guys. Like I'd love to, I'd love to walk away from this feeling like I'm a slightly better filmmaker. So I'd love to spend a little bit of time on gear and a little bit of time on storytelling. So start starting with gear because that's that's the fun part. What do you guys shoot with primarily? <laughs> a seven three now. Yeah, we just we just upgraded to the A seven three. Well, and kind we of downgraded. It's cheaper. Well, uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> downgraded, but it sure feels upgraded like an upgrade. Upgraded. It's amazing. Side graded. Yeah, the the autofocus yeah. has been such a treat. Um, the the what were you using before A seven two or uh, the A seven S two? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then we were five D Mark three people forever. Forever. That's what mm-hmm. we were trained uh, on. Yeah, that's that was our everything. And then last year, I guess in March of twenty seventeen, we jumped over to Sony which is a scary thing. And um, A7S II was great for a long time. But yeah, this, the A7 III just seemed to to just win in, in a lot of things that matter. basically took anything that was frustrating with the A7S II and solved it. Yeah. Which yeah. was really exciting um, for us, at least for our needs. We also, um, I got the Zion crane a few months ago, and that's made a huge difference. You know, you kind of get to this point where you're watching these travel films and you're thinking like, well, I'm constantly watching and studying and thinking, how can I do that? And usually I can figure out how they did that in the editing or in the shooting. Um, but I would see these like gorgeous glide shots. And I was like, there's no way they are doing that handheld because that's how we've done mm-hmm. all of our shooting. Yeah. Well, I was very naive to this whole world of handheld gimbals. So we purchased one and I was like, it was, it's been a game changer. Game changer for sure. Yeah. yeah it's I'm been sure. really, really so fun. So then to we, we shoot on, we just, so we're Man, Manfrotto carbon fiber, tiny little tripods, but we just found the be free, the Manfrotto be free tripods. And now I pick up my, my carbon fiber tripod. one, yeah. which I thought was a travel tripod. I thought it was the smallest you could get. And it looks like a giant, like, industrial compared to this <laughs> little really be free one. And 
I I don't know how I ever lugged that thing around. Yeah. Like the Be Free one fits in my in in my water bottle holder in wow. my um in my backpack in my Peak yeah, Design bag. It's wild. And it's been heaven. It's been so yeah. nice to carry that thing around. We're also big, uh, big into drones and what they can add to, especially travel yeah. edits. Mavic Pro. I think we have like the Platinum or whatever. So the Mavic Pro. Um, and then we shoot, we use the Peak Design Everyday Bag, the 40, 30 yeah, I, liter. I spot, that on, I spot that in all your videos. Yeah. 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 Do you have one? Yeah, I did a whole video all about oh, it. Oh, that's right. I was you did just a such review. a fan. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's I'm... a beautiful, wonderful thing. It's been a total game changer. Yeah. Um, Very lenses 16 to 35, uh, 24 to 70, and Izzy shoots on an 85 prime that I'm jealous of, but for some reason I Yeah. It's not the so Where it's an it's an 85, it's not the G Master F one point two, it's an F one point eight. So it's like the plasticier one, but it's it's four hundred dollars, and it is so such incredible a gorgeous for the lens. price. Cool. And it really adds. Like if you're, I I did one tutorial in particular on getting texture, but like it allows you to get these abstract shots that help you to like seamlessly, uh, seamlessly switch from kind of maybe a more static shot to a motion shot. Um, and you kind of use these abstract shots in between that you almost don't even register because they're just so blurred out and fun. Yeah. Um, and I feel, I find that having a really, really close up lens helps me make a better edit. I have to yeah, have those even kind of handheld. weird, weird shots that you can't quite decipher Yeah, on their own. Yeah, totally. What do you guys typically do for selfie talking shots? Like Johnny on, on yours, I've noticed quite a bit. There's deep depth of field. Um, I think that's like an Osmo or something. Mm-hmm. Or? Yeah, that's the Osmo. So we don't talk about it. Yeah, is this is a big this is a big divide <laughs> in our household. So I'm I'm pro Osmo, not because I love the Osmo. Is he's vehemently anti Osmo? I was very pro Osmo until it betrayed me. Yeah, well, it's times. betrayed me many times in the field, and I still come back to it because what does it it's, do? It has major so audio. Glitches. It has audio and picture glitches. If you go watch the most recent mm-hmm. Borders episode, you'll see this the the greatest sin of the Osmo in real life, which is that the digital noise and the darks. At, at times, random times, random. it just decides, the sensor decides it. to be angry at you, and it Oof. creates this insanely distracting digital noise in the highlights and in the darks. Um, so that's one thing. And then the audio will just, and I've been using it, you know, I use it to shoot so I much footage. I trusts it still. And I'm telling you, I, I have shot an entire vlog of myself and realized, like, it's unusable because there's just glitches throughout but you can never predict the reason i keep coming back to it is because it is so incredibly small and so incredibly stable you can walk around a city you can Mm -hmm. run around a city you can point it at whatever and the thing just behaves so perfectly it's so stable so it's convenient for me doing borders because i do a lot of walking and running and moving and yeah and it's just i've tried to vlog with the normal rig the gorillapod and the osmo just keeps i just wish the they would just update it, but I, I, I'll keep using it probably. For me, I honestly just hold my camera and hold yeah. it out. Yeah. You know, with like at 16. Yeah, 16. Um, and that's right. worked really well and there's no noise uh, or <laughs> audio glitches. Yeah. <laughs> so. It's not nearly as stable. Yeah, but yeah, it's not as big, smooth. Izzy has, sure. Izzy has a Osmo just sitting in her gear bin just getting dusty. I just glare at it every so often. Yeah. If I could recommend a sometimes replacement for the Osmo, um, and this wouldn't this wouldn't work for running, 
But if you get a moment lens on your iPhone, assuming mm-hmm. you have, you know, a reasonably yeah. new one, yeah. uh, and turn it around so that you're using the the good camera, huh. um, the stabilization on all the modern phones is fantastic. So for just walking, yeah. it'll it will be super stable. Hmm. Um, and if you put and especially putting the so it turns it into 18 millimeters is how wide the wide moment oh, that's is. A great suggestion. It looks really, really good. Um, wow. The only catch is you have to really make sure it's clean. Like if there's any dust in between yeah. your phone camera and, and that, like it can look kind of terrible, but you just have to check, just check when you put it on. And, you know, I think, uh, especially an iPhone video, I think iPhone video is much better than what comes out of an Osmo. Um, I think yeah. Yeah, wow. that's great. What about that's audio? Awesome. I mean, cause I, I throw this little eighth inch stem mic into it, or sometimes I'll throw the, a road mic and kind of, and put, put some hardware to, to kind of make it point towards me does would yeah. that work just the same on an iphone i guess i haven't really tried that yeah out. so i just pre-ordered the new road i don't know if they called it video mic tiny tiny uh yeah it's it's, it's a, the lightning adapter one that's so, the official name the tiny, tiny. yeah <laughs> it's, it <is> now. <laughs> um, i haven't received it i don't like i don't think it's shipping uh to normal people yet so i don't i don't have one to try but that i think will be the solution okay um, the well, big thing about a lightning it is connection it, yeah, and it flips wow. back and forth. That's the best part. Wow. So hmm. you can, you know, your selfie cam, your the other cam. And that's a huge thing with my stories, too, is that if I'm ever on the opposite side of where the camera's facing, it's mm-hmm. very directional with, I don't know how it does this, but its microphones are insanely directional. If it's looking away from you, it does not hear you well from behind the phone. Wow. So being able to hmm. tilt a, a real mic is, is going to be a big part of it. I'm, I'm expecting hmm. to use a lot. But well, um, other other than that, it's kind of just using the adapter that I think I think it just comes with modern iPhones. Like you get the lightning to mini, uh, what do you call it? Mini jack. Hmm. And so yeah. I've used that for uh, lav mics. So sometimes if I want to be far from the camera, I always just keep a lav mic with that adapter on it and no preamps, no transmitter or anything i just keep that in my bag at all times and if i ever want to get far from the camera i just plug that into my phone open any sound recording app and record myself through that and then sync it up later wow that's that's been like a really great that's been kind of just a lifesaver in a few times where i want to go wide but you know i'm not going to boom it i'm not going to yeah, like, yeah. i'm not going to bring around transmitters or worry yeah, about batteries yeah. being charged or and the quality and the, i imagine the audio quality is pretty pretty it's decent it's really good wow. totally there's wow. there's no you would never notice that it's um, not like a, a much better one. So, like a, a good recommendation would be the Aputure, like the, if you know those guys, A P U T U R E. It's like fifty bucks, super cheap. Sounds great. Wow. wow. Okay. Well, I'm gonna look into that because I've orders won't stop, and I'll keep needing this solution. And <laughs> Maybe you'll solve all our marital problems. Yeah. With this one upgrade. With the well, Osmo, and, and most sure. of them are pretty cheap too. Like the, the I think they're all about you know fifty seventy bucks, and you could have mm. all the things I just listed. So that's, Man, not, that's not awesome. too bad. Nice. Yeah. So that's our gear kit. I, I think that's these iron crane. Yeah. Um, that's basically that's it. Basically we keep it, it really. Uh, as you know, lean as possible because we want to be able to carry all of it with us. Yeah, in a, in a carry-on, we we don't well, check, and in our we try to not check bags yeah. ever. Oh wow, that's amazing. Yeah. We are we check a lot of bags. <laughs> no, <laughs> we, but not gear. I keep the gear with me. We yeah. sometimes check bags. We but. sometimes check bags, but it's especially when the kids are around. But we, it's always this very satisfying thing when we just go with a backpack and a roller, and that's it. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah computer side an issue i am 
trying to resolve this year is storage on the road. Right. So whenever whenever I look up other people's suggestions of like, here are good ways to deal with a lot of data, like really high volume shooting, they're assuming you're at a desk. Right. Or assuming that you're going to be near one when you do your editing. So yeah, you get, say, a one terabyte SSD that's really fast, but but then what? <laughs> yeah. Right? Because for me, like, I've had projects that the single project is over a terabyte. Hmm. And um, it's not it's not very common. Most most projects are, you know, maybe 100 to 200 gigs. Yeah, I was going to say, right. I even Hong Kong, I mean, Borders Hong Kong, which I was there for like 14 days shooting all day, every day, and a lot in 4K, you know, the, all the drone, all the Osmos in 4K. Um, was about 900 gigabytes, which is the biggest project I've ever had and probably the biggest project I'll ever have until start mm-hmm. shooting on like a red or something, which I don't know. So um, for us, it's been that solution, a little solid state Samsung um, one terabyte that is tiny and just it goes into our USB-C. We have the 2018 Max. Ooh. And... Yeah, which I, I've kind of seen. I haven't delved in, but I've seen your buzz, something around some drama around around that. I've, I've kind of been following your saga, but haven't seen the the other side of it on, uh, on your... I'm working, I'm working on a big video for it. Coming oh, okay. Soon, oh, okay. Good, yeah. So we actually have the, I guess, I guess technically we have like the 2017, but it's the same model, just not with the newest, newest upgrade. Um, oh, okay. So that those are, we both have the same ones um, and we just use that. The, the big Wait. X factor for me that I just started doing that changes literally everything and has been a dream is proxies. I transcode mm-hmm. everything into proxies now. Well, that's also, that's skipping a point because you are using Premiere, right? Yes. yes. I'm using Import, Premiere. Important detail. Oh, is proxy not a thing for Final Cut? <laughs> so this this is a war on the internet. So uh, just <laughs> be aware that we're stepping on landmines by. Oh my gosh, classic. <laughs> um, but so but I I switched from Premiere to Final Cut this year. Uh, oh, wow. I, w- I was on Final Cut uh, growing up, like through Final Cut Seven. Yeah, me too. Um, and then I was at I was at the release for Final Cut Ten. Like I was I was there at the at the big announcement. So I was oh, super wow. on board with it. Really excited. And I I just gradually started getting a feeling of like okay I can't do my I can't become a professional here. If I want to do the level of work that I respect from other people, I need to learn Premiere. That's the only way to do it. And once Final Cut released their internal grading ability so that you can do like full color properly, I switched and I'm absolutely don't look back. And so back Mm. to the, the proxies thing, you just don't need to because it will... So I have a 20, what is this? I have a 2014 13-inch MacBook Pro. So it, uh, sorry, 2015. So it's three years old. There's no internal graphics card in it. This And there's eight gigs of RAM. This is a pretty underpowered machine, but I can f- more or less fluidly edit 4K without proxies in Final Cut, um, as long as I haven't graded it. Whereas oh. in Premiere, I can't even play it back at all like i, I yeah. need proxies to even touch the files whoa um, okay wow. okay so you don't need to is the bigger thing to me this is actually uh, strangely and this is probably not the case for most people thinking about proxies it's not necessarily about playback although the responsive it's, playback is is a very nice wonderful thing in premiere mm-hmm. that i didn't have before where when i press l or spacebar to go forward 
the thing hops to, to a point where yeah, I yeah. didn't even know there was a lag until there wasn't a lag. And I was like, this was amazing. The bigger thing for me, maybe not the bigger, the equal thing to me is that I have a hundred gigs of footage that correspond to my almost terabyte of, of footage, meaning proxies that are, that I can just have on my internal uh, hard drive. Mm, yeah. And so now I just, I open up my computer and I edit with no hard drives anywhere in sight until I'm ready to start grading or whatever it is. And that's been amazing to not even have to think about a, a hard drive. Um, totally. That, no, that's a really good one. And I mean, because then even if your external hard drive was slow, you could do that. You know, you could get all of the real mm-hmm. work done yeah. all internally. In this really um, tiny, which again, if the Final Cut, if if that's... That's true, which I presume it is. I imagine you're not exaggerating here, but like if you can just go full 4K without any lag, um, that is a big, that's a big deal. I'm going to send you a few videos afterwards. um, So be prepared to to do do some viewing because I like (laughs) I I always knew I'm like, oh, yeah, Final Cut's kind of optimized. Like, yeah, it works better on Mac because it's built for Mac. Like, yeah, I kind of know that. But once I started just watching a few tests, I'm like, wow, like this is it's a really, really, really large difference. So hmm. um, the big things you miss out on, like what I still really miss and haven't found a good solution to is audio mixing. Um, like, I don't know if you go into audition for your mixing, mm-hmm. but yeah, yeah. there's Noise nothing reduction. like that. Yeah, like there's you know, no really smooth and... way to do like the waveform editing. You can you can do the overall like video mixing. That works fine. But uh, all the stuff in audition is, is, is lacking, so... Hmm. Okay. I, I do. I need to touch on something before I keep going. This is just to, to listeners in general. An update that on my last episode, I mentioned the MacBook I ordered, which uh, at the time was the, I got the i9 with one terabyte of internal storage. I have now canceled that order and <laughs> reordered the slightly slower i7 processor and boosted my internal storage to uh, two terabytes which came out to be a little bit more expensive. But the big reason for it was what you were just talking about that I realized instead of buying another one terabyte external drive, if I put that in my computer, I don't have to plug a drive in anymore. Which is surprisingly a big deal. Like there's something so satisfying to being like, I'm not going to fish out my drive. I'm going to open my computer and start working. Like that seems like a small thing but it's actually a big thing especially when you're on an airplane or you're in the back of a van or whatever it's not having to worry about needing to relink like media at any point and especially us with like little kids running around and who love to pull out hard drives. love to pull out hard drives yeah Um, boy well or just that hard drives love to pull themselves out too every every cable i have once it's more than six months old will just eject like yeah just because i I breathed on it wrong so yeah Yeah, exactly (laughs) yeah wow the amount of time i'm going to save just by not plugging my hard drive in and or not worrying about all these things that's Mm -hmm. probably even more than saving on render time or the additional speed yeah totally just the workflow stuff i think will be yeah the the, i think the natural next question to that though is what what's the process of editing internally on your hard drive but then you have to be very disciplined about some sort of archive workflow which i think probably a lot of people are like us where it's like we have a very slipshod very kind of willy-nilly like oh we'll just throw it on this random lossier five terabyte drive that we've had (laughs) for a billion years and it's like it's like at some point now we literally have just 15 hard drives and some of them are 10 percent full some are 100 percent full and it's just it's a total this is like our pillow talk (laughs) 
Yeah. Yeah. How we're like talking about a raid and we're talking about like all these things and like, should we get a raid five? This is all my research the last few weeks. This is like where my head is at because yeah, right now I have stacks of portable Seagate drives, like four and five. Actually, Mm -hmm. they go down to two. So my old ones are two. They're relatively well organized because the system I had that has been working is I would buy a pair of drives for each year. So I've got a set of drives that are labeled 2015, 2016, and there's just uh, one is primary, one's backup, and I just mm-hmm. basically keep them in sync. That kind of works, but as it's gone on, it becomes a lot of drives. That's mm-hmm. that's become the big thing, and like you being sure to update backup. So if I do some work on something from 2015, being like, oh, okay, now I have to go dig out the 2015 backup and sync those changes. Otherwise, I'm not actually having a true backup. Yeah. Um, just little details about it start to kind of fall away. Yeah. And so so I currently have a raid, but I filled it. <laughs> oh jeez. So yeah, so wow. that, that's so Yeah. I gotta look at expanding it or um sticking some bigger drives in. So I have a Synology, and the nice thing with them is that if you're using their proprietary raid format, it will it, if you put bigger drives in it, it will start to use that space. Mm-hmm. Whereas on, um, it, even if they're not matched, whereas on like a RAID 5 or more sim- simple RAID systems, you need to replace all of the drives to yeah. get the additional space. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's a wild. I started down that rabbit hole, like on a train ride one time. I'm like, oh, I have a good hour. I'm going to like figure out my RAID issues. And a, an hour in, I was about 2% into the knowledge I needed. And I was like, nope. Like I'm, and I just like walked right oh, back no, no. out. I don't think you should give up. I don't think you should give up. It's well, not I'm gonna that wait. Bad. I'm gonna wait for you to blaze the trail. It sounds like you're way That's further really down this sad. rabbit hole than I am, and so I'm gonna just wait for a, you. Take to, a look at Synology and QNAP. They are they're like the big competitors for network attached storage. Just start taking a look, get a sense of what they're doing, um, and then I'll follow up in videos in the future. Okay, nice. good. Oh man, I'm stressed just talking about it. <laughs> I'm stressed just thinking about it. Well, but I mean, that's the thing. The stress of not dealing with it is this like omnipresent, it's this weight on our shoulders. And it only gets uh, worse. I only feel good about it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Any more gear stuff? Oh, I I guess just other little things is do you guys have any uh, recommendations as far as uh, other software? Like you both use transitions quite a bit. I don't know if those are packages or, or what. Yeah, we use the handy seamless transitions. That, Which you can buy on Video Hive. Right. I yeah. Believe. And okay. we I think do, they're called aren't they? Uh, they're I called they're, Motion Bro or Handy Seamless. Yeah, they're they called like, they're really called Motion Bro. That's the I don't know. Which is the <laughs> most just like funny if name. you want people to not buy your product, just name it, it Motion, Motion Bro. Bro. That's really they, that's not good to Sorry, say. it's just true. So <laughs> they um, and then we do which uh, wait for those who don't know what that is. That's basically it's these it's these kind of synthetic transitions that will mimic a camera swipe or this kind of camera fly that can be overboard, but can be nice, especially if you do in, in camera natural swipes paired with these handy seamless seamless transitions can add a really nice transition in between things. Yeah, especially in a travel edit. And um, and so we do most all of our transitions in After Effects and any like small text animations on mine. Johnny does a lot more uh, like heavy duty animations. Yeah, I do a lot of map animations um, using After Effects, but yeah. using a plugin called GeoLayers. That's probably the number one question I get actually is yeah. how do you do your maps? GeoLayers is an amazing, amazing, amazing piece of software by a German developer who has just hacked 
map tiles and After Effects and married them wow. together in this amazing way to where you can literally just zoom into maps as if you're on Google Maps, but you're in an After Effects interface. And it's clunky and it's a little bit janky and you have to learn to work with it, but it's an amazing thing. I, I still, like, I wake up every morning and, like, be like, because I used to animate just on big vector maps, just big, as big as I could get, you know, and now with this, it's just a dream come true. So, GeoLayers. Um, and then we use a suite of macros. So we, we've we hacked our, um, which Final Cut Pro users scoff at us because they're like, <laughs> we don't need all these, these like hotkeys that you have. We just use these other simple things, which I don't know what they are. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm one of those people who jump ship at Final Cut 10. So I, I don't really know like what the system is. But um, I, we use macros that allow us to get through a lot of footage in a short amount of time. Basically yeah. key strokes. Do most. Most of our editing without touching the mouse. Yeah, we can just blast through going without having to touch the mouse, which is really nice. Yeah, that's the way you want it. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I think that's probably it in terms of software. Um, yeah, Chronosync, you know, for syncing up our oh, drives yeah. and stuff like that. Big fan of Chronosync. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that's it. Yeah. Cool. Um, well, uh, let's maybe move on to what uh, making movies should really be all about <laughs> and, and how, how Gear, we tell right? stories. Um, <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it's um, easy to neglect because it's a little more, you know, soft and squishy of a topic, but it's really what brings people back. Like, I, it's the difference between, you know, success and failure, really. Like, there's a lot yeah. of people out there that are just vlogging as in putting a sequence of clips together that happened to them. Mm-hmm. And then once people figure out how to tell any story, even if it's just like a simple personal story, it totally transforms how engaged people are in it and how much you care about yeah. finishing the video. Yeah, I always say you have to you have to force people to care at first. I mean, in an ideal world, we would all want to learn about each other, you know, all the time. But mm-hmm. um, the reality is that no one knows who I am when they first stumble upon one of my videos, and and same goes. For Johnny, And so I think a really important part of storytelling is to have a hook that really draws your viewers in and kind of convinces them to care what you're talking about. So we really, um, above all else, prioritize like a visual and kind of like story bit hook at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, well, and you guys people. have slightly different objectives in each one, too, because like Johnny is more you're telling a story about external things in the world and is your more personal. So like, is mm-hmm. you have any specific thoughts on how you do that differently or like different challenges and it being more personal? Yeah. I mean, one of the major differences is the amount of research that goes into it. Johnny spends months researching because my job is to just be myself. I don't have to research that mm-hmm. too much. Um, so I would say the difference in being personal is just the struggle to be completely myself. I think that it comes through on camera if we're trying to be anyone else. And and um, so that's the first and foremost, like, biggest struggle of vlogging, I think, is you kind of have your fake camera voice and then you have to do some, like, weird things to get yourself to talk normal again. Um, but in terms of storytelling, I've just tried to be really... Uh, heartfelt and honest in how I tell my stories and you know my travel films if I'm being completely honest I don't do a lot of storyboarding with those they kind of come together in the editing room 
um, I'll have like an idea of like for Montreal, it was like, well, we absolutely have to do a competition between the two bagel shops. And I kind of want it to look like this. And I want us to be eating and not talking to each other. And then I want it to be this like final reveal. So like within the trips, there will be little bits of setting up stories. But for the most part, that's just us doing our thing. But when it comes to client projects or vlogs that I'm doing here at home or tutorials, I am a major advocate of storyboarding and I use it constantly. It's my number one tool in having a story that is easy to edit, first of all, which is important when you're trying to turn around videos one to two times a week. Um, but also that is concise and coherent. And I think well, when people come around to like a, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, if anybody hasn't watched your, your channel yet, I mean, the, you have a lot of really great resources on this kind of stuff and just helping walk people through exactly these types of yeah, I try. I try to teach people kind of how to learn the storytelling basics and to learn different filmmaking basics. And I've just found that, like, if I'm going to set out to make a tutorial, then I really want to map that out and make sure that I'm only sharing the most important parts, you know, and, and you kind of have to have this respect for your viewers time. And I think Johnny agrees with this in his content as well. Yeah, I've, I've been awfully quiet over here because I have this kind of um, hot take on this is kind of it's almost a cynical take on story, which is I when I was a, an aspiring filmmaker and had this very deep desire to be making stuff that people wanted to watch, I did all of the the story research. I, I, I read everything. I listened to Ira Glass's, you know, story interviews and all these people who I thought were great storytellers and and, and who I are kind great of storytellers. who are amazing <laughs> storytellers, and I felt disillusioned and kind of unsatisfied by what I what like what I learned. Like I could hack, I could learn how what frame rate was, and like the rules of of the shutter speed, and like all this stuff. But like I couldn't find satisfying, useful information about story, and and that really frustrated me. I was like, man, why can't I do this? Like, there's got to be a formula. There's got to be a way to do it. And so I always, when I get a lot of questions about like, how do you think about story? And I'm always so reticent to dive into that and give, give like objective advice because I feel this sense of like, I don't quite know. Like I I know, I know it when I see it Mm -hmm. and I, and I, and I feel it and I can do it. I now feel like I can tell stories and I, and I get what it takes. I understand the ingredients, but to me, it is such a visceral and intuitive process by doing a large body of work, meaning yeah. just making stuff that mm-hmm. wasn't very good and doing it again and doing it again and looking at really good stuff. And instead of trying to codify or quantify why it was good, I just said, that's good. And I want my stuff to look more like that. And it was more of this kind of sloppy or, or it's a messier version of just emulation than it is a a kind of writing down a list of what are what are story elements that's not to disparage or say obviously izzy makes amazing tutorials a lot of people make amazing tutorials on kind of the fundamentals and the basics to approach this but on a on a whole level like anyone if i were listening uh, to someone you know maybe six years ago when i was really wanting to learn this stuff i guess one thing that no one ever said that i wish they would have said was like you got to do a ton of work and you have to look and study at the people who are better, who are doing it great. And to 
force yourself to reconcile that your work is not as good as theirs and to just not rest <laughs> until it, it is. Make it be as good as theirs. And that's yeah. that's not a that's not a very sexy like <laughs> no. like way to say it, it's you know, not but the it's answer like answer people want. Yeah. Um and I and I think there's so much to that. You know, when I started even because blogging was such a different type of storytelling than I've ever done, you know, wedding films and and like brand stories that I was doing for these companies or what I had experience in. And so, you know, if you go back to my like January blogs, which is when I started, there's some, uh, you can tell, I don't quite know how this is gonna end. Like I'm just kind of going with the flow and just figuring it out. Definitely copying a little bit from here, a little bit from there, which I think is fine. I think that's part of the creative process. Um, But it wasn't until I just did it over and over and over that I actually started, and this is going to sound so cliche, we're just all going to hate me after this, but um, it wasn't until then that I started thinking in terms of story and, and like lying awake at night and dreaming up vlogs as stories. And it's completely changed the way I see our day to day. Now, when we go out for a day trip, I can see the beginning, the middle, and the end of the story. Yeah. Um, but that really goes to kind of what Johnny said, which is that it, it came from practice. It came from practice. And, and and those of us who have done a large body of work, who've been in the trenches for years, now can see that in a way that I feel like... I, I'm trying to empathize with me six years ago or seven years ago or whatever, when I was really trying to figure this out. And, and I couldn't really see that. I couldn't really see what these people were talking about, you know? And, and I guess that's why I'm, I, I, whenever I talk about this stuff, I'm like, I'm hyper into making this clear just because I do. That is something that's been on my mind for years as I've kind of transitioned into that, that it really is just a large body of work. And it's about emulating those who you respect and forcing your work to slowly get into that, into shape to where you think it is better. Yeah, and I think I'll just emphasize that like storyboarding along with that is another way to practice being intentional about story. And so if you're just getting started and you're kind of like, well, I don't think in terms of story and everything I keep making turns out bad, sit down literally at a drawing board and map out what you feel is a good story and then go make it. And that might give you a little bit more of intention behind your shooting. Well, and I feel like there must be some good some useful general advice out there similar like one thing that came to mind is when you're giving a talk or a lecture there's this saying of that it's it's like tell them what you're going to tell them and then tell them and then tell them what you told them that's yeah. not like always exactly exactly true but that phrase goes through my head a lot because like that's kind of a good idea mm-hmm. it it yeah. really is a, a way of communicating clearly it doesn't mean you need to have that structure every single time but having ideas like that floating around can really give you ideas on yeah, on what structure yeah. means even right or what totally. it what it means to like build an expectation and yeah. then either deliver on it or subvert it like something i've always wanted to do more of is like i would love to occasionally talk about things more meaningful than like right now a lot of it's like technology and how to make the things that i'm making like there's something frustratingly meta about doing videos about making videos I, but I enjoy it, right? Or you like do it very I like, well. but I, because it's, it's easiest for me to just keep talking about things that I have opinions about. But then there's challenges. Like, I, I mean, Borders is a big one of these challenges where you need a lot of details and you need to be right about them to, yeah. 
to to become an expert on them, basically, right? So it's it's a lot easier for me to be an expert about photography or, or video production than about the history of a region or, uh, you know, that always requires some hard work that you probably haven't just internalized. Like most people making YouTube videos aren't already experts about a, a lot of things. Like we all have relatively narrow domains. Um, but also just like a, a side note, one time I was doing a, um, uh, one of my reviews, try to guess which one, uh, I had just been watching a bunch of videos about, um, well, f- first about Dan Harmon and then uh, chasing that down to like Joseph Campbell's uh, Hero's Journey and that method of storytelling. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, how could I turn this into a review about tech products? <laughs> like, well, how could I take that? <laughs> um, and so, you know, I, I don't know if the video came out better or not, but I found it helpful in that moment to be like, what if I go through these steps that other people have established as a consistently successful type of mm-hmm. storytelling? Um, yeah. And, 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 and I, and I definitely that. have some of those. And, and as you kind of push me into that, I definitely can see where you're coming from. Like there is some, there are formats and styles and approaches that have worked for me, what that's been in borders and you'll see it probably more if I call this out, like you'll see probably all of my videos is when I started making documentaries for Vox is the journey, the journey device. I'm a guy who lives in Washington, DC, who flies to Hong Kong and isn't a local. I wouldn't pretend to be a local, but I'm a curious person and I want to understand X. And so my journey is to go along and to talk to experts, to talk to locals, to visit certain salient sites that will help me understand this thing. And as I'm visiting those things, I'm commenting. And of course, I do a lot of research to bolster that to the point where it kind of looks like I'm just stumbling on this thing. But really, it's been like you know, four months of reading books and stuff. Um, and But the, the concept, the framework is the same, which is I'm on a journey. I'm a curious person. I'm a proxy for you, the viewer who also doesn't know anything about Hong mm-hmm. Kong. And like, we're, let's go together. And, and I'm going to be this relatable gateway into this kind of esoteric a region or topic or whatever it is. I've used yeah, that that's, over that's and over again. a really good again. one to touch on, like kind of being the hobbit in Lord of the Rings, like the outsider that is going to be the eyes of the audience and yeah. somebody that's a voice for the audience. Um, it, yeah, which is a, which is a fine line to, to walk given, uh, you know, the, the outsider trying to parachute in and, and, you know, explain yeah, yeah, this to sure. the locals is like, is also a, a, a device or a, an optic that I don't want to be a part of or, or, or communicate to my audience. And so having that humility to be like, I really don't know a lot about this, but I want to understand it uh, as opposed to trying to be the kind of quasi expert. It, it's a fine line to walk. And, and sometimes I get it right. And sometimes I don't. Who else do you guys like to watch for inspiration? Like who do you, who do you love on the internet? <sighs> I didn't watch YouTube until January. This January. So I um, was very naive to this whole world. I was a big Hulu and Netflix girl and Johnny would watch like, you know, all of the Reddit top like rising videos and then he'd be on YouTube. And I was like, what are you doing on there? What what is even on there? And then I was like, I want to be a vlogger. So (laughs) that's like, well, you better start watching (laughs) YouTube if you're going to start uploading to YouTube. Um. So I've mentioned before that I love your videos. I feel like you do a really good job of being concise and clear. And then your shooting fundamentals are like you're just you are really precise in your shooting. Um, 
I love Adrian Bliss, who does kind of like satire, uh, kind of like a, he makes fun of YouTube in his own way. Um, and it's hilarious. I frequently am making Johnny rewatch his videos. <laughs> um, I, when I first got started, watched like over 200 of Casey Neistat's old vlogs. Whoa, hit the catalog. Um, I just like went on a deep dive. Yeah. And I was just like, I have to understand this vlogging thing. Like, how does it work? Um, well, I, I want to go back like, to that for a second. Yeah, I feel like I, I, I bring up Casey Neistat annoyingly often because he's he's just such a good archetype for it. It's not <laughs> like, I, I don't watch tons of it. Like I'm not, I know some people no, get yeah. hooked on vloggers and they're like, I got to see it all because I always want to know what happens to them tomorrow. Like yeah. I really, I, I don't have that feeling, but yeah. what I love about him is that I think a lot of people get it wrong. What, why he's interesting because it, like, a, a lot of what he does feels like messy and sloppy mm-hmm. and like it's so it's, he's intentionally just so stumbling though. through it. But it's, yeah, as soon as you like analyze the shots at all, you're like, no, like there's real this, intention yeah. to the storytelling, like setting up an expectation in a shot and yep. then either creating comedy through it by turning against it or, or you know, even just how often he'll set up empty shots and walk into it. I feel yeah. like, it, like this is where we are and now I've arrived in it. And there's he all these so intentional. Yeah. So, so intentional in the way that he tells the story. And Which is a good reason learned, to go through the back catalog. It absolutely it really was. Is, yeah. But I will say that now, now that I'm trying to create weekly or am now that I am creating weekly, um, <laughs> I've had to take a little bit of a step back. I try not to consume any creator very consistently. Um, and so I dabble in a lot of different creators that I find inspiration from. But it's so easy to start to see their influence on your work. Which, again, is okay, and it's a natural part of the creative process. But I try to kind of just, like, watch one here, another there, and I take different things from each of them. There's one in particular, uh, his his YouTube is Con Stop Me, but he makes these really quick-witted, he's just talking to the camera, but the edit is really fantastic. The jump cuts are really, uh, they add a lot of humor. Um, So I kind of hop around YouTube and get inspiration for different things. Yeah, for me, I watch, obviously, there's a whole world of explainery, kind of the Vox genre. Oh, and I get inspiration from Johnny on YouTube. Thank you. (laughs) I really do, actually, so much. We we really kind of play off one another. And I think his work stands to be like the best travel documentary out there. I think a lot of people would say that. No, I'm I'm just blushing. Um, (laughs) Oh, so by the way, Johnny, Johnny's nominated for an Emmy. Is that, that's a thing, right? Wow. That's a thing. Wow. That's definitely a thing. Yeah. He's now a twice Emmy nominated journalist, which is amazing. So weird. weird. And I'm never going to stop saying it. That's very weird. (laughs) I'm telling like the grocery (laughs) store clerk. Yeah. It should. Week one. Telling everyone. Um, so uh, the vlog brothers, uh, John yes. and Hank Green, who are like some veteran YouTubers. Um, I love them and I love their approach, their, their style. It's smart. It's witty, but it's still kind of playful and quick. Also, It's concise. like empathetic. It's like. It, it, it tackles issues that we feel pretty strongly about, those, but in a way that's like so approachable. Those guys fulfill in my life what like pundits fulfill in like our parents lives you know like you tune in to the pundits to know like how to think about the world like these are the people who give you you know right 
And these guys, to me, do that. Like, I, I tune in and get the smart take on whatever's happening. And it's usually not news reaction. It's usually just, like, life. And and I just find it so helpful and great. Um, so the Vlogbrothers and all of their spinoffs with, like, Crash Course and all these educational YouTube and offerings. And I would say, like, you watch their videos and at first it just seems like a guy talking to a camera. But if you make videos and you watch their videos, yeah, the editing and this is, like, and the, the storytelling, like, the, the approach, yeah. Is, brilliant um wendover productions is this this guy who does um transportation explainers so explains like the the kind of economics of an airplane you know how airplanes make money um how like shipping works like all these things that are just like so fascinating and and really appeal to my interest of like the under the underground of of all the systems happening in the world that we don't even really think about um and then i think i watch um you know i really I really consumed a lot of Casey for, for a long time. Um, I think he inspired me in a lot of ways. Um, Peter McKinnon uh, really inspired me with some of his like very high, high production value stuff. Um, yeah. Again, we're dabblers in both. Yeah. We kind of dabble all around and then I'll just take big breaks from, from YouTube for like months and, and, and come back. Uh, I, I love my colleagues work at Vox. Like all, everyone at Vox is very inspirational to me as well. Mm-hmm. Is there a so, Vox office in Washington, or is it? There is, yeah. There so is. the so the best main, snacks in town. Best snacks in town. That's true. <laughs> uh, the main Vox office is here. There's also one up in New York as well, and then kind of scattered throughout. So I'm in the office not very often, but but when I'm here, it's it's nice to have my big iMac that I can go edit on. Oh. <laughs> Makes a difference. Yeah, that'd be nice. I I always I often have a feeling of needing to take breaks from YouTube, like um, yeah. I've never been a huge YouTube consumer. Uh, mostly, it's it's always been tutorials and reviews for me. Um, but I do get a feeling from watching people that are the closer they are to my category or to what I do becomes this kind of battle of like inspiration, but then frustration Absolutely. and like, <laughs> oh, am I not doing it good enough? And then like, if I take that idea that they did, am I going to look like a, the same as them? And yeah, it's um, like I get inside to, like, my head about known. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah. Yeah. I either, I either try to draw inspiration from like actual movies or just to like as, as different from what I'm doing as possible when I yeah. can. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Like myself I listen to this American I life. I listen to this American life and, I actually, if you watch the this most recent Hong Kong uh, um, season of Borders, the pacing on the music, if you notice my cadence on the music when it comes in, when it comes out, how many songs there are, it's much more akin to a narrative podcast than it is to a, to a video. There's like 16 mm-hmm. songs in one of them or something, you know, like to the point I, where it's... I was really noticing that actually. That it, oh, like, really? Uh, and actually that influenced uh, the last video I just put up because I was oh, watching, yeah, I was watching your latest Borders and I was like... Damn, he's changing the song a lot. Like <laughs> yeah, every he's, like, segment about that. And yeah. I was like, that's awesome. Like the it, podcasters it so- have always done it and they've always done it right. They've always used it as yeah. punctuation. They've always used it yeah. as like we're gonna fade out the song during this little mini chapter and then we're gonna like punch in this next song at full volume, give it a couple seconds and then come down before we talk. And I, I was like, that's that cadence is so nice, you know. Oh, like they don't have visuals to keep people interested, so like they use the music as this kind of punctuation. Um, yeah. Or I mean, I've, documentaries I've to adopt that a little bit. too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, but yeah. So I've got like eight songs in my last one. I don't know if it's doing it any good, but I've always been really <laughs> annoyed 
when people just insert a song into the background of them talking and let it play for eight minutes of like this little EDM yeah. loop that is and you hear and you hear all the ebbs and flows of the oh. music like it's like the climax the beat drop and it's like happening yeah. just at low volume while they're like talking about some nothing and you're like yeah. no like that Cutting song was orchestrated entirely at like key thing. points too is mm-hmm. like such mm-hmm. an underrated art oh yeah oh for uh, sure that i've yeah, become that... completely addicted to yeah yeah that can be huge i i feel like i haven't executed it very well yet but i see it in other people I feel like for humor, too, it can be, like, such a great (laughs) emphasis. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Kind of like the crickets. Just no sound at all. Um, But, yeah, I think we uh, have now realized that we're all three filmmakers that don't consume a ton of YouTube. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But just enough. It's fun. And and there's so many other places to get inspiration. You know, I I find that I get a lot of inspiration from different photographers I follow. Um, from writers and from go- getting out and doing things. So, well, I feel like we're all part of a thing I'm advocating for, which is just YouTube for grownups, where <laughs> it doesn't have <laughs> to be all about, yeah, like 16 to 21 year olds being really loud and breaking stuff. And, um, you know, like I, I think there is, there's sort of a stigma of mm-hmm. YouTube is for children and, like a lot of the really big channels are, you know, PewDiePie and Logan Paul and uh, so many others. Yep. Um, Their audiences are made up of, you know, queens. But yep. the, the more there is mature content, like in, in the good way, not in the yeah. R-rated <laughs> yeah. way, uh, the better, you know, like I, th- I think it really having an open platform for independent creators that can talk about real issues is super important and really like healthy for the world. Absolutely. It's the reason I first got on there was to kind of share a bit of our message and um, about our son with special needs, but also about my own, you know, experience with, with depression and different things like that. And I've been pretty uh, like forthright about my, my life, but I've had such a wonderful uh, reception and like a, pretty old like 25 to 35 you know not old but like our age adult audience not tween audience (laughs) um which is exciting you know you realize that it's a big place it's a big platform Mm -hmm. and even if the kids breaking stuff is like what's trending or what is getting a a lot of views there's still a giant swath of people who want to learn i mean the fact that retention on these borders videos which are can be up to 15 minutes long is usually, you know, on a 15-minute video, the average watch will be 10 minutes. Someone yeah, well. spending 10 minutes on the internet consuming, like, geopolitical explainers is just, like, there's a huge... And that's millions of views. So it's, like, there is an appetite for it. And that's actually re- restored a lot of hope for me in humanity, frankly. And that sounds <laughs> so hyperbolic, but I'm saying it with, like, a straight face because... When I started making videos for the internet on a massive scale, like at, at Vox, like for a big audience, I, we were told, you know, keep keep these videos three minutes, like, you know, attention spans, blah, blah, blah. This is like in 2015 when it was like that was the sweet spot in videos is three minutes. And we slowly started to get deeper and deeper an inch further into longer and, and deeper things. And we're like, I remember I made my first 10 minute video one time and they were like, this is crazy. This is a 10 minute video and, and it ended up doing really well. And so like we've been pushing it and now I make 15 minute videos sometimes and it's like the fact that we still get that big retention and and the same views is just really exciting to me. There's a place for adult YouTube. 
Absolutely. Well, and in, as far as long th- format goes as well, I mean, it's so much of why I love podcasts because there's things you just can't ever get to. And, you know, 15 minutes sounds long, but it's not a very long conversation. Like you can't, no, yeah. no. it's very hard to get deep in less than, less than an hour, honestly. Yeah, um, totally. And I know that's not what YouTube is for. Like that, it, an hour doesn't fit well on there. But, um, you know, I, I like, I, I love long form. Yeah. Um, and speaking of, I mean, we're, we're, we've been here for a while. I don't want to keep you forever. But Johnny, I, I have a specific question that I saw you posting about that you've been making music um, for some of your videos. Wh- yeah. How are you doing it? Like what's... So this has been... So when I was a, in high school and in college, I played drums and guitar and a little bit of piano. Um, just always dabbled in high school, like with a band and stuff. Um was always into jazz. So I recorded a lot of music then, but it was all, it was like on GarageBand, you know. But I got really good at GarageBand when I was in high school, which isn't a hard thing to do to get good at GarageBand. It's a fairly user-friendly, foolproof interface. But I then have tried in years since to get back into it. Um, Obviously, haven't been able to lug my drum kit around the country as we've moved. And so I kind of gave up on learning drums or continuing with drums. But, um... I'm actually oh. in that same boat. I tr- tried and gave up on drums because it's not easy to keep It's playing. really hard to carry them around. So um, so I tried, I had this year, I think it was like 2015, where I was like, I'm going to get back into music recording. I really want to do this. So I bought Ableton um, and kind of did some tutorials. It's a really kind of advanced program. It's like, it's like trying to learn Adobe Illustrator or something. It's not like the interface is going to pop out and teach you anything. Like you kind of have to, you kind of have to work for it. Um, and so that was kind of a fail. I was like, man, I just do not have the time for this. Well, this year I discovered uh, Logic, Logic Pro, which is basically the Final Cut Pro of of like GarageBand's iMovie. You know, it's like, it's like the glorified version of the default program, but it's very robust and very good. And it's an interface I'm very familiar with because I knew GarageBand. Um and so it was actually on the way to Hong Kong and the way back from Hong Kong, I was like, I'm going to spend five hours editing selects, you know, because that's what I do on airplanes. Um, but on the way back, I, I, as I was editing, I finished the selects and I said, I'm going to compose a song that I'm going to use in Borders. And so I found this kind of Chinese violin that was like very you know, traditional sounding and I kind of blended it with the synth bed that I'd come up with. And, and and on you can use the keyboard, like the typing keys, as a keyboard to like play chords, like literally like play chords. Um, and so I recorded some stuff. It's very simple music, but it has the tone. As someone who studied a lot of jazz, I understand chords and stuff and was able to come up with these chords and this, this whole thing that worked very nicely for a couple of Borders episodes. And... Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun, and I would love to do more of it. It's it's hard to it's hard to squeeze in, but it's man, it's sure gratifying when I can shape the tone of my of my videos with original music. No, I love it. It's it's inspiring to me because it's something that's been on my mind forever. When I when I made my first videos that I don't even know if they're online, I, I kind of did like I did that, and I don't even remember what I used, and I like I never learned the software very much, and the mm-hmm. idea of learning any new software seems like, yeah, like you say, something I just don't have time for, but I would love to be able to make some things myself. So, um, yeah, yeah. Well, and the cool thing is with video is like, you don't have to feel like you're making some 
you know, song, song, a pop song with a melody and a catchy thing. You're making a bed, you're making a music bed, Mm -hmm. a beat bed that can be two instruments that are in a beat, you know, and it's like, that's a way lower standard. And I think that was what I needed. I needed to know, like, I'm not making some song for like someone to just listen to. It's there to color something. And, uh, and that really changed the game for me. And it's, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Or the other examples that like for this podcast, I don't have a theme song yet. I just Uh. keep inserting different sounds into the beginning (laughs) because I always have this plan that I want to hold out until I can make a song for it. So nice. I love that. It's a great goal. (laughs) I think that's good because it will just push you. Yeah. Yeah. I have to do it someday. Yeah. (laughs) That's Guys, great. you are you're both seriously awesome people. Both of your channels are must subscribes for anybody. So both links will be in the description, but also uh, tell everybody where they can find you. So I I kind of am more active on Instagram than anywhere anywhere else. So I'm um, at Johnny W Harris um, on Instagram. That's where you can find me. And you can find his Border series on Vox.com's YouTube. Yeah, or just mm-hmm. Google Vox Borders and you'll find all sorts of stuff. You can also do that. Google always works. You can find me on Instagram at is.harris uh, and on YouTube as is Harris. Mm-hmm. I-Z. I-Z. I-Z.